Hello, and welcome to the first episode of Direct Initiative, a podcast where we talk about direct democracy and the importance of ballot measures. I'm Alex Kawa, and like I mentioned earlier, this podcast is going to be about why I think that direct democracy is the best reform to the inefficiencies and inequalities in the current political system. So for this first episode, I wanted to talk about the why. Why direct democracy? This is just a base level of understanding why it's important to even consider before we even discuss the pros and cons of it. So this episode will be split up into three parts. The first part will have to do with a very brief history of direct democracy in the U.S. The second part will have to do with why other reforms fall short. And the third part will have to do with how this can give voters a greater voice in the process. So first, we're going to go over a brief history of direct democracy. Direct democracy has existed in America for centuries, dating back to colonial times. Particularly in New England, orders of business were discussed at town meetings, and citizens played a large role in determining the public policy of their local governments by voting on the issues put forward by these elected officials. Eventually, this practice spread to more states, and Congress passed a law stipulating that any state admitted to the Union after 1857 must include some legislative referendum process. Since then, American direct democracy has been expanded to include direct initiatives, where a group of voters in 24 states and the District of Columbia can gather signatures to put a certain issue on the ballot. This largely came about during the progressive era of the 19th century, when concerns over the dominance special interests hold over American politics really began to take hold, and people wanted a way to go around their influence. Not only does this influence remain today, but it has been expanded, as these interests can now spend unlimited amounts of money on elections. This directly relates to why it is necessary to even consider in the first place the implementation of a system of direct democracy as a democratic reform. The way elections are currently run under a solely representative form of democracy have left Americans incredibly frustrated with the results. The systems in place in which the American electorate chooses the politicians to represent them are incredibly flawed. For what is supposed to be a representative democracy, the voices of so many Americans are drowned out based on factors such as their geographic location or even immutable characteristics. The Electoral College, which is used by the 50 states and Washington, D.C. to elect the president and vice president, is structured in such a way that renders non-white voters' votes worth 5% less than those of white voters. Meanwhile, the U.S. Senate is designed to give voters in the least populous state, Wyoming, 66 times more representation than those in the largest, California, due to the fact that every state, irrespective of population, gets two senators. Furthermore, the practice of gerrymandering has created a House of Representatives in which the overwhelming majority of districts are considered safe for one party or the other, rendering the votes of those who lean towards the opposite party useless. As a result of the ways in which certain voters are left out of the electoral process, the American people as a whole are left out of the policymaking process. Their voices are not heard and are not taken into account during the legislative process. A recent example of this occurred in March 2021. Despite the fact that more than three in five Americans favor raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour, the Senate voted against such an amendment. The vote was bipartisan, with eight Democrats joining all 50 Republicans and blocking the amendment's passage. Another issue in which the interests of average Americans is ignored is background checks on gun purchases. Polls consistently show wide support among the electorate from across the political spectrum for these changes. 
but this support hasn't moved enough Republicans to get on board with them. These are just a handful of the issues that the American people support that the government refuses to act on, but the list doesn't end here. In fact, a study conducted by professors Martin Gillens and Benjamin I. Page in 2014 found that, quote, the preferences of the average American appear to have only a minuscule, non-zero, statistically non-significant impact upon public policy, particularly when the desires of the wealthy are taken into account. American voters have made their opposition to these inequalities in representation clear. More than 6 in 10 Americans report being opposed to the Electoral College. A similar amount also supports laws to reduce the influence of big money on elections. And yet, despite opposition, these barriers remain in place. The question still remains however, as to why the aforementioned electoral and political reforms can't be instituted to solve the problem of legislative inaction on the issues of importance. And this is where we get into the second point of this episode. Other democratic reforms simply fall short and political polarization is inevitable. Even if every reform under the sun were to be implemented, it would still not solve the issue. As journalist Ezra Klein states, there are no solutions, only corrections. Quote, there isn't an end state to American politics. The search for a static answer will always be folly. There is no best way for the system to work. There is only the best we can do right now. And if we do a good enough job at it, we will see today's success ossify into tomorrow's frustrations. What works in one era fails in the next. That's okay. The point is to get to that next era with the most progress and the least violence. As Klein states, reforms towards inaction, polarization, and gridlock in the legislative body can only go so far. There is no magic bullet that will solve all of these problems, at least not in the long run. As a result, a workaround to such gridlock is necessary in order to make progress on the issues of importance to the American electorate. As Columbia Law Professor Tim Wu explains, the voters' lack of control over the political agenda has exacerbated several of the aforementioned problems facing the country, calling, quote, the oppression of the supermajority the biggest threat faced by American democracy. One of the most prominent supporters of American direct democracy is the late U.S. Senator from Alaska, Mike Gravel. He builds off of this position, writing in his book, Citizen Power, quote, the representative system of government structurally maintains citizens in civic adolescence. Proof of this exists in the passive acceptance by the people of the ridiculous actions of their elected legislators and their administrative officials. These government leaders decide to go to war and then refuse to pay taxes for the war. Worse still, they cut taxes, passing the financial burden onto our grandchildren. I could cite further proof with respect to education, social security, healthcare, taxation, the war on drugs, trade, energy, and environmental policy. It's embarrassing to then see politicians promoting this behavior with a straight face. And this quote from Gravel lends into the third and final point of this episode, which is that direct democracy gives voters an extra voice in the process. Gravel laments on how voters give their political power away on election day and are left without a strong voice in crafting public policy that has such an impact on their day-to-day -day lives. He also argues that having voters decide what public policy agenda they want implemented is much easier, quote, than trying to guess what representatives will do after they get in office, and that if the American people can be trusted to elect their representatives, who's to say that they can't be trusted to know what laws would be best for them? Gravel also cites his belief that the ideals of direct democracy are in line with what the Founding Fathers wanted for the country. Specifically, he quotes George Washington in his farewell address at the conclusion of his presidency. 
quote, the basis of our political systems is the right of the people to make and alter their constitutions of government. This quote underscores the desire of Washington, as well as that of many other founding fathers, for a government in which the people have some form of empowerment in the policymaking process. As a result, Gravel concludes that a national initiative process is the best way to finally ensure that the founders' vision becomes a reality, and this is a sentiment that I echo. Furthermore, the impacts of direct democracy on voter turnout have also been studied and have been shown to have a positive impact, especially in states that don't have competitive elections to begin with. In 2020, Redfield and Wilton Strategies asked voters in Arizona and California about how the introduction of direct ballot initiatives played a role in their decision to turn out and vote. The results showed that 61% of Californians and 56% of Arizonans were more motivated to vote by the inclusion of these initiatives on the ballot. The results become even more interesting when broken down based on how the respondents voted in the 2016 presidential election. In Arizona, an equal number, 61%, of Hillary Clinton voters reported having, quote, been more encouraged to vote in the past due to a ballot initiative as Donald Trump voters. While in California, the gap between both groups was 10 points in favor of Trump voters, 71% compared to 61%. A potential reason for this large gap is the partisan breakdown of California compared to that of Arizona. Arizona is a quintessential swing state, which is highly contested every election, with both candidates heavily competing for votes there. As a result, both Democratic and Republican-leaning voters are equally motivated to come out and vote, as they know their ballots could literally change the outcome of the race. Meanwhile, California is one of the bluest states in America, so Republican voters naturally have much less incentive to vote, as it is all but a foregone conclusion that the Democrats will always win in statewide elections. However, the ability to vote directly on certain issues changes the game for these voters, and they now have a chance to make their voices heard in a tangible way. This also may explain the fact that 5% more Californians than Arizonans overall feel more motivated to vote based on the inclusion of ballot initiatives, due to the fact that, by default, their votes matter less, as in, they are less likely to change the outcome of a typical election between two candidates than in Arizona. And this specific idea that certain initiatives on the ballot can make it so that voters are more likely to vote in elections is one that we'll explore in the next episode, where we talk about several issues that have been on the ballot in multiple states in multiple election cycles, and how these have affected voter turnout, and how they've overall improved American democracy in multiple ways. So that'll be coming out soon, and I've also, if you're watching this on YouTube, I have linked to some of the sources I thought were important in the description below. Thank you all very much for watching and or listening. If you're watching this on YouTube, uh, please leave a like and subscribe to the Direct Initiative YouTube channel. And... If you're listening to this on streaming services, then make sure you follow the podcast. Uh, it's not on streaming services at the time I'm recording this, but I hope to get it on there soon. Um, but that's all. I'm Alex Kawa, and this is Direct Initiative.